together. I've got the top for people that don't know it. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and renew the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. That was a very generous introduction. Thank you, Carol. All right, so like Carol said, my name is Jessica. I'm 31 years old, so I'm guessing I'm about 10 years ahead of all of you, with some exceptions. Um, and I'm living, I've been living at the married vocation for almost 10 years now. And my husband, Nate, and I have five kids, which you guys all have very good context for. Um, so we've been living in Cincinnati for six years. And just since the summer, we've been living in Catholic community with a cluster of three other couples, including the Schimmelers, um, just since the, the summer. So that has been a huge blessing and something that's been on our hearts that we really wanted for a long time. So my husband, Nate, is a biomedical engineer at the Cincinnati VA Medical Center. And he's also a part-time adjunct professor at UC. And then I am a stay-at-home mom, and then very much part-time, but I do some chaplaincy work at Children's Hospital as well here. So this basically means that Nate is largely contributing by making money, and I am largely contributing by saving us money. And those are our roles working together. So I'm not giving this talk because our family has figured out the perfect way to do financial stewardship. Um, even just when we were filling out the budget worksheet that um, we were doing kind of in preparation for this talk, I could see that there were a lot of ways that we could grow in our spending and our giving practices. But I can speak to you about how we and other people that we know have made this ongoing effort to be generous Christian disciples um, and for us to do this while raising a family, which I think may be relevant to a lot of you down the road. So I'll try and weave in bits of our story um, as the topic unfolds. But before I go any further, I think it's important to take just a minute to pause to really think about your own faith, my own faith, and our beliefs. Um, whenever we're talking about our faith, is it really important that we remember and let the reality of our beliefs really sink in for us? So... When we're saying the creed and we say that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we really believe that, that everything that we see, everything that we have, our very selves, are only here because God made it so. Um, so this is an important precursor for the topic of discipleship in general and financial stewardship in particular, because for us to fully live out the call to discipleship and for the implications of that to take root in all parts of our life, we have to really believe that, right, every day. Um, and not just kind of rattle it off, but to like let that really sink in, that everything is only here because God made it so. And I think once we deeply accept that, it makes it easy for us to give more joyfully because... In a sense, it's not really giving at all. It's kind of like returning. And that's a topic that I'll keep coming back to. Um, so a couple of words about sources from my talk and different materials. They're at the end of your handouts, but I'll make a mention of them now. First of all, scripture. There are, I think, a lot of teachings in the church where they're largely derived from our tradition. And then you can find hints of it in scripture here and there. Um, but it's not, you know, um, super explicit. Management of finances is not one of these topics. Jesus has a lot to say. There are a ton of parables, and it really doesn't leave much to the imagination. So I think it's really appropriate that we start with the words of our Lord, and there are a lot of them. 
Um, and then in addition to scripture, I'll be taking a lot from a pastoral letter that um, the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, wrote. It's called Stewardship, a Disciple's Response, and it's about this very topic. So I took a lot of what I'm talking about from that letter. Um, and then two other books that I highly recommend and that my husband and I <clears throat> have both read pretty recently. One is um, Blessed Are You Poor by Father Thomas Dubay, and the other one is The Grace of Enough, and that's by Haley Stewart. Um, so both also on just this topic of how to be responsible financial stewards and have a healthy Christian relationship to material possessions and um, to money. So to start with, the, um, the proper response really of a disciple is stewardship. So if everybody in this room feels that they want to be a disciple of Christ, you're all called to be stewards. And I'm called to be a steward of all that we've been given. And in the pastoral letter, the bishops outline three basic convictions of, of um, discipleship. So the first one is that mature disciples follow Christ and have made the decision to follow Christ no matter the cost to themselves. So it's not really a matter of whether it's convenient or whether it's the right time. We're all called to follow Christ all the time in our lives. The second conviction that they lay out is that this commitment to follow Christ manifests itself in um, every aspect of our lives. So it is a way of living, um, that we're committing our very selves to the Lord. We aren't meant to really compartmentalize and give like certain parts, like you can have this part of my money, right? I'll give you my tithe, or I'll give you my Sunday. It's, it's meant to permeate every part of our lives. And then the third basic conviction that they lay out, and I'll draw this one out a little bit more, that stewardship means that we're really managing something that's not ours. So we're the manager, and then the master, the Lord, has given us everything to manage. So because we are recipients of everything, um, right, just to kind of stop and think about that, that God created everything around me, like I said, this means that I owe literally everything to him. My health, my intellect, right? The fact that I was born as like an able-bodied uh, individual with like a mind that could think and learn. Um, my husband, in my case, my children, they're all gifts. Like I'm entitled to none of that. It was given to me. And I'm firmly convicted of that too. Um, my house, my car, right? Like everything, it permeates everything. So they're all really the Lord's, they're not mine. Um, and then in addition to this, I am to be grateful for everything that I've received and eager to cultivate these gifts out of love of God and love of one another. So with this, um, with this definition of stewardship and these convictions in mind, um, I think the words financial giving can be a little deceiving when you're like filling out a budget and there's a section that says financial giving because really what we're doing is returning what we were given. So I'm going to try and use that language tonight and you guys can stop me if you hear me say giving. Okay, you can like <laughs> try and say returning. Um, and then another thing that we are given by Christ in addition to like everything that I just said is our vocations. So we are living out this call to discipleship through these various unique vocations that Christ has given us. And so while we're called to be generous returners, it should also be in such a way that we can be faithful to our responsibilities and commitments. So I want this talk to be um, aspirational, but also practical, right? Like everybody here has financial responsibilities and commitments just by being um, called to a vocation by being a member of society. We all have those responsibilities. Um, you guys may or may not have student loans or car loans. Maybe you're already thinking about saving for retirement. Maybe you're not. Like, I'm trying to pay for my kids' school now and save for their school in the future. Um, so it's okay that we have to 
manage these practical aspects. Like that's a part of discipleship because it's discipleship and stewardship vis-a-vis our vocations. So when I was thinking about this topic, there were really um, four characteristics that rose to the top for me about um, what classifies good financial stewardship. And those were um, to be generous, it ought to be generous, it ought to be proportionate, it ought to be diligent, and it ought to be prudent. So I'll start with generosity. There's this really great quote from St. Augustine. He says, find out how much God has given you, and from it take what you need. The remainder is needed by others. So over and over again, Christ points out in scripture that we are to avoid a focus on and a hoarding of money, right? Like, I think that's pretty clear. But um, in particular, I want to draw on the parable of the rich fool. I think most of us are probably familiar with it. It's this guy who's just been really blessed in life, and he has so much, and his harvest is so big that his barns can't even fit at all. So he says, well, we're just going to tear all the barns down, build bigger barns, which he does. Um, he's feeling really proud of himself and says, well, we have um, many years of prosperity ahead of us. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. So I'm going to call on um, someone to, whoever has the number one. I forgot to keep track of that. Okay, awesome. Just to kind of hear um, what the lesson is that Christ has for this young man and for us. If you want to go ahead. We're reading from Luke chapter 12. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, but a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's just a beautiful scripture to be reminded of, thanks, that um, where we're investing now is where our heart is. And I wanted to, I'm going to try and give like concrete examples in addition to kind of the theory to see it in praxis. So um, I want to tell you about Anne. Anne is um, a lady that we know. She's a single woman. She's a dermatologist. So she's easily making, um, in that profession, between $250,000 and $350,000 a year, doing pretty well. And she could be living in a nice house, driving a nice car, going on lots of vacations with that kind of an income um, and no, no other dependents to care for. Instead, though, um, she's on the board of directors for a nonprofit that we support called St. Lydia's House. So St. Lydia's House is um, a nonprofit that provides housing for women and children who are experiencing homelessness. They're actually in Norwood. They kind of inspired us to start our ministry, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. Um, And she lives, Anne, lives in community with these women and probably has like one bedroom worth of private space. Um, And then she gives all her surplus income to this nonprofit. So talk about saying no to greed. Like she, um, I, I don't know if they'd be able to do it without her, just to see like the fruits that are being born from her generosity. Like she is living out that spirit. So I want to, and I want to quote, because I think it's really relevant in her example, especially from the pastoral letter. Uh, the bishops say, good stewards live with joy and gratitude for the blessing they have received including those that have multiplied through diligence and hard work. Because I think that can be um, a temptation for us, whether now or down the road, to like look at how much we're earning and say, like, I worked hard for that, right? Like, I don't know, Ethan can speak to this better than I did, but I'm assuming she went to medical school, worked really hard. Um, she could say, like, well, I earned that, it's mine. But instead, like, she has that really amazing spirit of generosity and is living that out. So generosity, number one. Um, So second characteristic of financial stewardship is that it ought to be proportionate. And this is really addressing this foundational concept of Christian returning, that 
we give to God of our first fruits. So this means that I make a decision in advance not to give from what's left over, but to give um, from the get-go before anything else gets taken out. So I'll read um, again from the pastoral letter. The bishops say, While many Catholics are generous in giving of themselves and their resources to the church, others do not respond to the needs in proportion to what they possess. And the result now is a lack of resources, which seriously hampers the church's ability to carry out her mission and obstructs people's growth as disciples. So um, two things I want to draw out of that quote. One is that the problem isn't that um, people aren't giving. Like maybe people might be giving, but they're not giving in proportion to what they have. And then one of the problems that comes out of that that they end with is that the church isn't able to um, grow people as disciples. And I don't think that they're talking about um, the needy that the church is serving. They're talking about the people who aren't giving proportionately. Right? You can't grow as a disciple if you're not giving proportionately. So now I want to um, kind of go into this topic of tithing a little bit more. And we'll start by reading the really preeminent scripture passage on tithing, which is in Deuteronomy 26, which number two person has. Yes, great. So you can go ahead. So a couple of things. This is an agrarian society, so we can kind of translate. Um, they're like literal fruit from the ground, but we hear that you shall take some of the first of all the fruit from the ground. So this is really where this idea of first fruits comes from, quite literally. Um, and then you put it in a basket, and at the end we hear that this basket is taken from your hand and given to the priest and set in front of the altar of the Lord. So... This is really specifically talking about money that we're giving to the church, right? Um, and it doesn't really matter, like, if you want to get into, like, the nitty-gritty of budgeting. It could be your net income um, after tax, or it could be your gross income before tax. I don't think that really matters as much. What we're really being asked is to be a generous giver and to set that money aside ahead of time. Um, and the guidance that the bishops give in their letter... And I'm going to read this in full. It's like a longer quote, but I think it's really informative for us to hear it straight from the bishop's mouth or pen um, about tithing. So once Christian stewards make this decision of how much to give as first fruits, it is suggested that one half of an individual or family's commitment of time, talent, and treasure be given to the parish. Um, and then the other half can then be divided among worthwhile religious, educational, and charitable organizations. The diocesan annual appeal is one of the opportunities that members of the Catholic community have for giving from the other half of their annual stewardship commitments. And many dioceses suggest 1% of the family's net income as a guideline for giving to the diocesan annual appeal. So good for us to know how we're being asked to allocate our money. We take that tenth that we set aside from the beginning, that first fruits, um, or for some people working up to a tenth, whatever you've chosen, you can set aside. And then half of that is going right to your parish or to your church. And it's then the other half, and that includes the annual appeal, um, so the CMA in Cincinnati, the Catholic Ministries Appeal, it includes the One Faith, One Hope, One Love, if people are familiar with like all these different diocesan campaigns. Um, so when we were um, filling out this budget worksheet, I got to look really closely at where our money is going. And just as an example, so we do give half of ours to St. Cecilia, 
But then that other half, like there's still quite a lot that we have um, to allocate different places. So we, when we look at the different charities that we're giving to, we are really um, living out the corporal and spiritual works of mercy through our finances. So I was going to um, quiz you guys on the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, but like, yeah, I, you guys might know, but to feed the hungry, right, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, um, so on and so forth. What? Visit the people in prison. Visit the imprisoned. Ooh, you're going to roll with it. Okay. Anybody else? Feed the sick. What? Visit the sick. Care for the sick. Bury the dead. Bury the dead. Yeah, so then we've got the spiritual too. Instruct the ignorant. Counsel the doubtful. Man, you guys are good. Admonish the sinner. I have cheap, I have notes. I don't know if I'd be able to do this. <laughs> My kids could. Uh, not me. Um, forgive injuries, comfort sorrowful, so on and so forth. But the idea is that these different nonprofits and charities um, and like the Catholic Ministry Appeal, they're all um, carrying out these works of mercy. Like I can't possibly in a, in a day do all of these things, but my money can be doing all of these things, right? Which is actually a really cool thought that we kind of double our output, right? We have what our finances are doing, and then we have what we can do um, through the Holy Spirit. So, very cool thought. So, I want to give you guys a quote from one of the books that I referenced, The Grace of Enough. Um, And the writer there is quoting St. Basil, who writes, Who are the greedy? Those who are not satisfied with what suffices for their needs. Who are the robbers? Those who take for themselves what rightfully belongs to everyone. And you, are you not greedy? Are you not a robber? The things you received in trust as a stewardship, have you not appropriated them for yourself? So really just asking us to think about like how we give generously, how much do we need? And I want to use that quote to kind of dive into the third characteristic of financial stewardship, which is diligence. So diligence, if we think about it as like a virtue, you know, it's one of the seven, or is it one of the four virtues of Solomon, I think, and it's opposing what? Anybody? What would be the opposite of diligence? Sloth. Sloth, yes, sloth. Laziness, right? We're working hard, we're avoiding laziness. We're working diligently, we're avoiding sloth. So First, when it comes to financial stewardship, I actually have to set up a budget. I have to actually sit down and fill out all the categories or ask my husband to do it with me. (laughs) Um, And then I have to track that spending diligently. They have apps for that now, right? Work smarter, not harder. Um, And then next, I compare monthly my spending to my budget that I've set aside, and I continue to make adjustments on that. But it really, I think it takes that virtue of diligence to budget because it's not fun, it's not easy, but it's very important. And it's part of how we make sure that we are being good stewards of our finances. So I don't want to, you guys will be very happy to know, I don't want to make the whole talk about budgeting. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe that's just my response. <laughs> but I do want to um, give a few words about it, just practical words. So those of you with pens... Um, get ready, because I don't think I have this in the spreadsheet, or in the um, handout. But um, when you are setting up your budget, the basics, 10%, right, we've talked about, goes to that tithe. And whether it's from gross or net income, again, I don't think it's up for you to decide. 30% of your budget should be going to your housing, roughly, um, for your housing to be affordable. So that includes utilities, that includes like rent now, and then later as you're a homeowner, it's going to include your mortgage, real estate taxes, homeowner's insurance, that's all 30%, and that's all rolled into that housing. So just remember that number. And then um, another set of guidelines that are good to remember now, we were talking about this at dinner, but retirement, 401k, (laughs) Um, that's 10% that, that, um, is recommended. 
for you to give to retirement, especially <laughs> not really knowing like where Social Security is going to be. Like we hope and pray it'll be there for us, but just to be prudent. Take down the man. Yeah, to be prudent. Ten percent for retirement. So um, those those are kind of the hard fast numbers. Everything else is gonna fluctuate depending on your stage in life and depending on your vocation, right? So I'm like doing college savings accounts and paying for school tuition. You guys aren't doing that, but you're paying off ground loans in some cases. Um, so let's see. Oh, and then another thing, um, and this is something that I have to credit my husband and then before him, his father with, but if you have expenses in your budget, and I think most of you probably will, that run around annually, that come around annually or biannually, like, for instance, your car licensing, your car insurance, create a savings account, figure out how much, if you break it down by month, and then every month auto-deduct those expenses and put them in that savings account so that that once or twice a year when that expense rolls around, you're covered, no problem. So that's another good rule of thumb when you're budgeting, to think of like monthly expenses, not just as like things that come up monthly, but everything I have to pay all year, how much per month is that going to mean? So with that, and then with e-giving, like a lot of churches do online giving for your, um, for your contribution, um, take advantage of auto pay. Again, we've got the apps, we've got the auto pay. Just because it's easier for us to do doesn't mean we're not being diligent. We're just being smart. So, um, And then the only other thing that I would say is just not to be discouraged if it takes multiple iterations, but just keep looking over your budget and kind of adjusting until you have one that works for you. So I think that's all that I want to say about budgeting, but not all that I want to say about being diligent. So how else am I called, are we called, to be diligent with our finances? Um, one of the things that came to mind for me when I was preparing for this talk is that I'm constantly trying to figure out how I can live more frugally and how I can live more simply. And that I have to do really diligently because... Um, it's easy as you start to make more money to kind of slide your way into a cushier way of living, into a higher standard of living. And it takes diligence to be thrifty. So um, after discussing it with my husband and praying about it, we decided that what we want to do is share our budget spreadsheet with you guys so that you can kind of see like a working, functioning budget in multiple categories, but also just to get a sense of like, how much we're bringing in and how much we're spending and how much we're returning. So I'm going to pass this around. This is our um, budget worksheet. And um, also in do doing this, I'm breaking a taboo. And I don't really understand why, but in America, it's very taboo to talk about how much you earn. And the more you earn, the less you talk about it. And I, we don't understand this because like, if what we're saying is true and it's not ours, then we should be all the more willing to be transparent. So this is a good exercise in that for us. Um, so I'm going to pass this around. And then I have um, a blank version of this. If people are interested, I can send it to you. I was going to bring um, hard copies. I have 24 copies. Oh, you do? Ah. Okay. Well, we, do, should we pass them out just so people can... Um, I'll, I'll get the blank ones at the end. Okay, well, I was thinking I was going to be, like, so old school. If I had, like, <laughs> paper copies, like... <laughs> so, I was going to email it, but Ethan's... Now Ethan's living out the paper. Yeah. So. Okay. So, so yes. Yeah, so, um, I'm going to break that taboo and um, talk about our finances very personally. So, my husband, biomedical engineer, 10 years into the field... He's making a salary of $92,000 a year, which is kind of ridiculous to me, actually. That seems like a lot. Um, and when you take into account, like, the little bit that I make and that he makes with other things, we're probably bringing in six figures, which is a lot of money to be responsible for. Um, and then at the same time, we try and live as frugally as possible. So some examples... 
we're a one-car family. The Schimmelers better be giving me a ride home. (laughs) 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 Um, And we bought that car used in cash after saving for it for years. Um, I stay home, right? So that's another big one. So we're saving on childcare costs. Um, Some smaller things, we try to rarely buy new clothing. We mostly do like consignment shopping. Um, We rarely eat out. We're Aldi shoppers. I saw there's yeah. a lot of Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. Like our grocery bills. Like it has. Anyways, Aldi plug. Um, Nate does a lot of our car and home maintenance, so we're saving a lot there. And then I do things like give the kids haircuts so we don't have those expenses. I use cloth diapers so we're not buying diapers all the time. Yeah, all five kids. All five. I got some eyebrow raises. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And it's really a team effort to try and reduce our unnecessary spending as much as possible and a diligent effort. So like always trying to think about how can we not get lazy, right? Like not think of this money as like, well, it's there, you know, we could just go eat out more and not cook more, whatever. Try and not think like that. That takes diligence. So that being said, while it does take diligence, I just want to own that the hidden win in learning to live with less is that we actually end up, I think, being more deeply joyful and being more free. Um, and I really mean that. And I'm so like the things that you own end up owning you. Fight Club reference, anybody? Yeah, I can do better than that. All right, let me try again. Let me try again. Pope Francis tells us. <laughs> Pope Francis tells us a constant flood of new consumer goods can baffle the heart and prevent us from cherishing each thing and each moment. So that's from Laudato Si, one of his newer encyclicals. He goes on to say that a return to simplicity allows us to stop and appreciate the small things, to be grateful for the opportunities which life affords us, to be spiritually detached from what we think we possess, and not to succumb to sadness for what we lack. Also from Laudato Si, which is being quoted by Grace of Enough book. Very good book. So, um, it's really very freeing. The more we can live simply. So that's, that's kind of my end of my discussion of diligence, and we'll move on to the final characteristic I want to cover, which is prudence. So, is it enough to give generously and try and always be saving more and just leave it at that. And I'm going to say, no, it's not enough to just be generous because we are called directly by Christ not only to give generously, but to give well, to earn well and to give well. Um, And to do that, we have to be prudent. We have to be really smart about our money. So there's, again, lots of parables about how to do this. Maybe one that comes to mind is the parable of the talents. You have, like, the one, where are they? servant who goes and buries his talents in the field and the other guy goes and invests his and makes more and who gets commended and who gets admonished, right? The guy who wasn't very smart with investing didn't earn any interest or anything like that gets admonished. But another, I think, really interesting parable and one that kind of came up recently in our reading cycle is the parable of the dishonest steward. So Jesus commends the dishonest steward, not because of his dishonesty, but because of his prudence in planning for the future. So I'll set the scene just a little bit. Um, So you have this steward who's in charge of his master's money, and the master's away, and the steward is receiving payments for the master um, from all these debtors, and he ends up collecting less than what the master is owed from all of them, and makes a lot of friends in the process, and also shortchanges his master. And then Jesus commends him for that. So why did the Lord Jesus present this parable to us? He surely did not approve of that cheat of a servant who stole from his master. The steward caused his master loss in order to build a nice little nest of quiet and security for himself right before he was going to lose his job. Why did the Lord set this before us? It's not because the servant cheated, but because he exercised foresight for the future. He was smart about his money. 
So, so yes, so he, he wasn't commended because he cheated, but because he was smart about his money. I mean, Jesus even says, um, behold, the children of this age are more prudent than the children of light. So really, if he's commending someone dishonest for that, showing that prudence, like how much more should we also be prudent um, and really take that to heart? So um, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to earn more? Because it can be really easy to do it for the sake of having more. But for a Christian disciple, it's not. We're called to be eager to cultivate these gifts. And this is kind of a return to an earlier point. Out of love for God and for one another. Um, So I'm going to have somebody read the third um, biblical quote from James about this idea of how we're called to live out our faith. We're in James chapter 2. Thanks. If a brother or sister has nothing to wear and has no food for the day, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them the necessities of the body, what good is it? So also faith of itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Thank you. So... If we're living out our faith, we're called to do it not only through um, financial management, but through our own actions. So how do we, and this is one of the last things I want to talk about, how do we marry these two of um, prudent financial management and of service? And I'll use our efforts as an example. So I kind of mentioned earlier about a ministry that we've started, um, and it's one way we've pursued prudence. We took our excess income a number of years ago and invested it in real estate. My husband's pretty handy, so it was kind of a a good move for us and our set of skills. Um, But we didn't do that for profit. We have purchased two homes, one of which we still operate at cost as affordable housing for single mothers. So this affordable housing ministry for us, was a good way to serve the needy through a cause that we felt strongly about while still investing our money well. Um, So I think it's not going to be the same for everybody, but just to think about um, not only stewardship and service and discipleship as um, financial giving, but if it's permeating all aspects of our lives, how can we then use other surplus money or, or in some cases, um, time and talent. For us, it's kind of taken all three to start this ministry. Um, and I think when it comes to service, what I would say is try not to get overwhelmed by the immensity of need that's out there, right? There are a lot of different issues. I'm sure that each of you have at least one that you feel passionately about. And it can be overwhelming to think like, oh, there's so much out there. How am I going to But I would say just pick one. Just pick one that you feel strongly about and invest wisely there. So for us, that was um, affordable housing, supporting the needy. And we saw that the neediest of the needy were single mothers and children who make up a really large um, amount of the people living below the um, poverty line. So that's our example. So I'm going to move into some kind of concluding thoughts and takeaways that, um, that I hope that are kind of self-evident from the talk, but to just kind of bring some strings together. The catch, I feel like, the catch with financial stewardship is to walk that middle road, that middle road between treating money as unimportant and not investing wisely, right? Like going and burying your talents, like, oh, money doesn't matter to me. And kind of doing it for the sake of a life of poverty or something, but then not investing what you have very well. Um, You could take that route, but I don't think that's what is good financial stewardship. 
versus on the opposite extreme, working very, very hard to increase your earnings um, while still giving some and sliding, like I talked about earlier, sliding into higher and higher standards of living. Um, so that's another route that you might see people take and think that they're being good financial stewards, but I don't really think that's the way we're called to either. So that narrow road that we're called to walk is to work diligently, um, to work very hard, and to be prudent, to earn our money and to manage it well, right, to manage to be frugal, to live simply, and then to take all of that hard work and to give that money away as much as you're able for love of God and neighbor. And Jesus adds on top of it, because he has very high standards for his disciples, to do all of that, not so that someone will see you and praise you, but to do so secretly as much as possible. So that is a very narrow road. That's like a tightrope to walk. Um, and I think it's really very tricky because Jesus tells us, did I have somebody reading Matthew? I don't want to steal someone's thunder. Okay, go for it. Take it away. What does Jesus tell us? No one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right, so you cannot serve. You cannot serve God and money. If you're in love with one, you're not going to be able to give your heart to the other. So how, how as members, as citizens of the most privileged country, um, members of, I'm going to say like one of the most privileged classes, we are the camels, my friends. We are the camels trying to enter through the eye of the needle. How do we do this, right? Because I, I don't really think it's practical to stand here in front of you and say um, that you're not going to be some of the most financially well-off people on the face of the planet. Like, I know we're not in, like, that upper 1%, but we're all probably, like, going to be college-educated, find good jobs, work hard. How do we walk that tightrope? And I have, the good news is I have some advice for you. I have some thoughts about what we can do. Um, pay, close uh, uh, pay close attention to your relationships. Stay well-connected and in relationship to those you are serving. That's the definition of solidarity, right? Well-connected and in relationship, physically, if possible, like physical proximity so that you're seeing the people that you're serving out of sight, out of mind. So that end of the relationship spectrum and then at the same time, take care who you surround yourself with on the other end. Like, are you friends with people who are living really lavishly, right? Who really value possessions and status. So take care of your relationships. There's a lot there. Um, some personal examples of that. Some people that I know, who I will not name, but who might be related to me, come to my house and ask us when we're moving to a bigger house um, with more and larger bedrooms for our growing family. And others have come and remarked that we don't actually have a lot of living space. Um, isn't our house a little bit small for seven people? But then on the flip side, I have neighbor kids come over and gawk at like, how high our ceilings are and how many books we have, and what a big dining room table we have. And they say, wow, you've got a big house, you know? <laughs> perspective, it's very relative. Um, the company you keep will change your perspective. So connection with the needy, the destitute, the homeless may help to prick your conscience when you feel a sense of vanity and pride welling up as you drive past that Lexus dealership in 10 years and you're still driving that beat up Buick that you got as a hand-me-down. And it's like, you know, I deserve. But then you think about that person you're friends with who takes the bus every day to work, right? Relationship. So one more example, keeping in solidarity with the needy and the poor will give you a whole new perspective on joy 
and what we truly need and what we don't need. So one of the single mothers that we housed who actually used to live in the Schimmler's apartment, the personal connection, um, has since become a really close friend of ours, and she still lives in town. Um, her son's actually my godson. And she has taught me that deep joy has nothing to do with how much you have. In fact, she is one of the most joyful people that I know, and correspondingly the poorest materially person that I know. She and her five children, including one with severe special needs, came here from El Salvador with pretty much nothing. And she, when she moved into our apartment, she had no furniture and very little groceries. Um, but she did have a loaf of Wonder Bread and a jar of jalapenos. So I have this amazing memory of she and her kids and our family sitting around rejoicing at her newfound home and eating jalapeno sandwiches. And you could not suppress their joy. They were just like, I've never seen anybody so happy. Um, another time after she moved out into a new place, she once again had no furniture or toys, and we came over to visit. She did have a bag of balloons that she had bought from the dollar store. And so she and I ripped up a bunch of paper to make confetti and then put it into the balloons which the kids then ran around popping, and they were screaming with delight when another balloon would pop and confetti would like spray everywhere. And she and I would just sat there and laughed and laughed, and it was just another moment of like really pure joy in just this bare, empty room. It is not about how much you have. It is not. And I'm blessed by her friendship. So there are elements of spiritual warfare involved. And I think you can get a sense of this as I'm talking, like just the, the momentousness of this and how important this is. And you're going to come up against adversity from the adversary, I would say. And we need to anticipate that. And our bishops knew that we needed to anticipate that when they wrote their letter. They described the many destructive isms of our culture, which we must proactively fight against. Materialism, Relativism, hedonism, <coughs> individualism, consumerism exercise seductive and powerful influences. Seductive and powerful influences. Now, our church leadership isn't urging us to be countercultural because it's trendy, but to help us combat these isms for our good and for the good of others. The more that we return, the less selfish we become. The less and less selfish people tend to prosper more in their relationships. And in our returning, we are more Christ-like. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God, we are happiest. We are most fulfilled when we are serving and when we are giving. And it's important to remember that. Or returning. Nobody stopped me. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. So even beyond these cultural isms on the macro scale, though, there will be the temptation on the much smaller micro scale of feelings like greed, feelings like entitlement, to return less, maybe it starts with a little bit less, um, and to keep more for yourself. After all, you worked hard for this, right? I mean, you studied, you stayed up late, you got that degree, you got that job. Um, and whether you were born into a position of privilege, you have a good family, you had a college savings account, um, or whether you worked your way to a college education as the first in your family, um, either way, be very wary of ever thinking that you are entitled to what you have and deserve a higher standard of living than is necessary. And this is something that we can all work on, including my family right? Because it can be easy to slip into that. So anticipate that it will be hard to say no to greed. Don't kid yourself and guard yourself. Maintain a strong solidarity with the poor and take good care about who you surround yourself with. The company that you keep and your friendships are part of those treasures that you're building up in heaven, part of developing those virtues. So um, in conclusion, I want to give back to you your, I think, house motto, right? P 
play like a champion today. Amen. Play like a champion today. Um, and when the Schimmelers told me that, I was really struck by the today part. Because likewise, Jesus does not call disciples once they are ready. The call is urgent, like right now. So he says, nobody has to, everybody's read, right? I don't want to steal a Bible verse. I think we're good. Okay. So he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I wish that I had been given this talk in college 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. 10 years ago. Ooh, when I was in college and working as a part-time barista at Starbucks and making about $500 a month, I could have still been returning $50 a month. You don't have to earn six figures to be a giver. We are all called to financial stewardship right here, right now. So I want to go ahead and close with a prayer. And then I'm assuming somebody else is going to do this okay. Let's start. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, God, when we are given plenty, help us to keep enough. Help us to remember the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the doubting, the ignorant, and protect us against greed. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.